Okay, welcome back. Uh, we are in the final week of our fall values series. We've been looking at those things that are most important to us as a church, things we've been discerning and discovering over the past couple of years as God has been doing a work in us as a church. Values represent those things that are most important to us. And so while churches across our city and across our country focus on worship of the same Jesus and, and trust the same spirit and read the same Bible, there are specific unique things about our church family that relate to our unique calling in our time and place. And that's where values come in. They help us make decisions. They help guide us. They help keep us on track with God's purposes for our church. And so we've talked about our value of partnership, our value of prayerfulness, and our value of making room. If you've missed any of those, please do go online or on our YouTube channel and catch up so that you're on the same page with the rest of us. But today, we introduce our fourth value. We value renewal. We value renewal. Uh, this was a very dry summer. Normally, when you live in the Fraser Valley, you can be sure of one thing, that there will be some rain to ruin a summer holiday or to ruin a fun weekend. Normally, we get a little bit of that, <clears throat> that drizzle. But it was just June through August and even into September. It's been so dry. And, and uh, so we had lots of sun, which is great, mixed in with a little bit of smoke, which is not so great because we know what that came from. But one of the kind of secondary issues that came with such dry weather was lawns. Anybody else's lawn just looked terrible <laughs> this summer? Um, you know, most of the time, nobody in Abbotsford really irrigates their lawn. Most of us never even put a sprinkler out because we know that the rain will come and keep it green and we can save on our water bill. But this summer, my lawn got absolutely ruined, it, you know, compounded by kids playing and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff, which is great. But in my backyard in particular, there's just, there were all these brown patches, not just of grass, but just, it just became dirt. All the grass was getting pulled out. My cat kind of digs at it as well. So I just knew as the fall was coming around, I had to do something about my lawn if I wanted it to look nice. And so I ignored my back or my front yard. So don't drive by my house and be like, he was lying. I ignored my front yard for now. And in my backyard, I decided to do a lawn renewal. And so I rented an aerator, punched all the holes in it. I got some seeds. I did some watering. And over just a few weeks, my lawn is green. A bunch of new grass is sprouting. It looks way better. It's not perfect. There's still work to do, but it looks way better than what it was before. With the right seed, with the right fertilizer, care, and attention, my lawn experienced a renewal. Now, like a neglected lawn, like at my house, like a neglected lawn, the church or even an individual Christian can get dry, scorched, patchy, unhealthy. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody felt that way? Just You felt dry. You felt scorched by the elements. Things just aren't happening in your spiritual life. You feel like you need a renewal. But with the right seed, with the right care, with the right attention, with the right light shining on you, you can begin to flourish again. The church can experience renewal. You can experience renewal. And we value renewal. For us as a church, we're not just about going through the motions of faith. We're not just about showing up to events and doing our Christian due diligence 
and standing up when we're supposed to stand and sitting when we're supposed to sit and doing all the motions of faith. We believe that people's lives can actually be transformed. Amen? We believe that the Spirit of God is active in the church. We believe that the power of God is present in the church and in your life to bring transformation. And so we believe habits can break. We believe relationships can be restored. We believe hard hearts can be softened and dry bones can come to life. And throughout this series, we've been showing how our values have aligned with four of the practices of the early church, the, the church in the book of Acts. And Acts 2, chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 42, is a bit of a summary statement of what the church was doing, what their practices were. Worse. Let me read that verse again. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. It says, All the believers, every one of them, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So our values have aligned with these practices. Our value of partnership aligns with the practice of Fellowship. The word fellowship is a word that, that is, talks about business partnerships where multiple people come together and pursue the same mission. They invest in the same mission together. Our value of prayerfulness aligns with the practice of prayer. Our value of making room aligns with the practice of sharing meals, the Lord's Supper. In the first century, Jews and Gentiles eating together was revolutionary. It was a, a major breakdown of barriers between groups of people who never even associated with each other, talked to each other, or touched each other. Now they're sharing food together. They were making room at the table of the Lord together. It was amazing. And even today, the sharing of food is a practice of intimacy and bridge building, which is why I'm so excited we get to enjoy some of that fry bread after the service. And finally, our, our value of renewal aligns with the practice of receiving and being devoted to the apostles' teaching. It says all the believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So the question is, what were the apostles teaching them? Well, the apostles were following the instructions of Jesus that he gave them in Matthew 28, which was the Great Commission. He said, teach people to obey everything I have commanded you. So that's what the apostles were doing. They were teaching Jesus's commands. They were teaching Jesus's parables. They were teaching Jesus's sermon on the mount. They were showing people how Jesus interpreted the Old Testament and showed how Jesus's life fulfilled the Old Testament law. For 21st century Christians like us, what this means practically, if we want to be devoted to the apostles' teachings, we then are devoted to the scriptures, which are the teachings of the apostles passed down to us. The New Testament scriptures are the apostles who gave us the teachings of Christ and showed us how it was practically lived out in the church in the early days. Now, Jesus called his teachings a seed. He said, particularly in parables like the parable of the sower, he said his word about the kingdom of God is a seed, that it gets planted, and if the soil receives it well, it will sprout, and it will grow, and it will produce fruit in the lives of those who receive it. And just like my lawn, renewal was made possible first by planting a seed in the right kind of soil. When the seed gets watered and tended and paid attention to and fed, it will grow, and it will produce life in the church and in you. 
So a major way we live out our value of renewal is that we regularly and intentionally open the word of God. We open the scriptures and allow the scriptures to instruct us, not just for information, but we open the scriptures because they have the power to bring transformation to our lives. That's why I encourage you, even if you have a hard time understanding the scriptures, don't just wait for someone to explain them to you. Open them, ask the spirit to work in your heart, and even words you don't understand have power to shape your heart and bring renewal into your life. They were devoted to the teaching of the the apostles. So as you keep reading Acts 2, if you just start in the next verse, verse 43, it begins to show the result of the early church's devotion. The result of their devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing meals together, and prayer. So verse 43 to 47 says this, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is what renewal in the church looks like. This paragraph is a summary statement of what was happening as a result of their devotion. They experienced the presence and power of the Holy Spirit regularly. They practiced radical generosity. They had continual worship, not just limited to special events. They, everyone practiced hospitality and community. There was a sense of awe and excitement and anticipation of what God was doing. And they were growing in numbers, the amount of people who were joining the Jesus movement. So here's what we see. And when I think about renewal, this is what I think about. I think about an increased attentiveness to the presence and power of God resulting in a flourishing church and transformed lives. An increased attentiveness, we pay attention to the presence and power of God resulting in a flourishing church and transformed lives. Renewal is not a people-driven phenomenon. It's empowered by the Spirit of God. But it doesn't happen unless people give their attention to God. A move of God is a move of God, not a move of people. But people must be prepared and positioned to receive a move of God. So our value of renewal reminds us to be prepared and positioned. It reminds us to give our attention to God. It reminds us to engage in the types of devotion, to engage in the scriptures, to focus on what God is doing, to make him the center of everything so that when he moves, we are ready. So that when he brings life, we are ready to receive it. So that when he brings a word, we are ready to hear it. So that when he plants a seed, we are fertile soil to receive it and produce a harvest. The word renewal in modern English has a variety of uses. In one sense, it means just to continue something or repeat something, like when you renew your driver's license or your passport, which is not an exciting kind of renewal because you have to go and you know wait for five hours 
and then you get your new picture, which most likely after, you know, five years, there's a little less hair and a little more chin in the picture, right? And you're just like, ah, I don't like this kind of renewal. That's not the kind of renewal we are talking about. In the other sense of renewal, it's more exciting. Renewal is an act of refreshing. It's a revitalizing moment. It's taking something that was worn out, burnt out, tired out, or dead, and filling it with life again. It's energizing that which was lethargic, filling that which was empty, invigorating that which was weary, and restoring that which was broken down. And that's what God does among his people. Paul uses this word uh, renew in a few occasions in the New Testament. Let me show you a couple uh, ways that he uses it. Colossians 3 verse 9 and 10, he says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So Paul contrasts this old self, this old version of yourself with a new version of yourself, and he uses the language of getting changed. Like you're wearing an outfit that's worn out. You've been working in the yard. You're, 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 there's holes in your jeans. The clothes are dirty and soiled and they're just not what they used to be. And Paul says there's actually the opportunity to take off your old self like an old set of clothes. And then you get to put on a new self that Jesus brings into your life, a new creation in your life. You get to be dressed in a brand new version of what it means to be human. And one of his practical implications there is literally, so don't lie to each other. Renewal is very practical. You are a new person, so you don't need to lie anymore. You don't need to hide behind a front and pretend you're something that you aren't because you've been given a new life. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Paul's talking about here troubles and difficulties the Corinthians were going through. And he says, like, don't lose heart. Because yeah, on the outside, there's situations and circumstances that are troubling and difficult. And the world is, 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 is a challenge. And I don't know if they were facing the same things we're facing. Inflation is high and you're getting priced out of the market and it's impossible to put gas in your car. They probably weren't dealing with gas in their car. But they're dealing with all kinds of things. And Paul is saying, listen, yeah, outwardly, there's, there's a wasting. Outwardly, it looks like things are bad. But what you can't see on the outside is what God is doing on the inside. What you can't see in that new passport photo, maybe it looks like an outward wasting away as you've aged, but in the inside, you don't see on that photo what God is doing in your heart and in your mind to renew you day by day. That's the work of God in our lives. The Greek word translated as renew in each of these passages is actually a combination of words, much like the English word renew. It refers to the completion of a process from one stage to a higher, more developed stage. Like God is developing you. He's in the process of completing you. He's making you into something new and better. It's like a, a renovation of a house. The house is worn down and broken down, and it gets a complete facelift, stripped back to the studs, everything redone for a new generation of families to live in. We are being renewed day by day. Lots of passages in the New Testament that pick up this theme, even if they don't use the specific word renew. But the big idea is that what God has done for us in Christ 
makes it possible for us to live a new life. It makes it possible to put sin to death and to live in holiness and righteousness. Not self-righteousness, but true righteousness of the heart to have a completely transformed self. A lot of people with pessimistic attitudes will say people don't change. And in a lot of cases, that is true. In human effort, in human, in human agency, it is really hard to change. But with the power of God and the presence of Christ and what he has done, he has made it possible for people's lives to be transformed. And so we don't give up hope and we value that process. We pay attention to that process. We make every effort to, put, to position ourselves in the place so that God can bring transformation and renewal to our lives. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. I want to hang out in just one more scripture for the rest of the morning to get a bit of a understand, better understanding of, of how Paul applies this. And we're going to go to Romans 12. You can head there in your Bible or on your device. And, uh, but this is a really important passage in my own life as God has kind of changed directions for me in my past uh, using this scripture in a powerful way. So Romans 12 begins a transition in the letter to the Romans where the first 11 chapters were very the theologically rich. Chapters 12 to 16 are very practical. What are the implications of what I've shared with you in chapters 1 to 11? In chapters 1 to 11, if you've read Romans, it can be hard to understand. There's a lot going on. It's talking about God's plan for salvation and how that applies to different people groups and all this kind of stuff. But Paul actually summarizes chapters 1 through 11 in one word in the first verse of chapter 12. And that word is mercy. That God has shown us mercy. And so now from chapter 12 to 16, what are the practical implications for those of us who have received God's mercy, how do we respond? He says in verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to talk to you just about three things about renewal. And like Pastor Nick was saying last week when we've shared these values, it's been impossible to share everything they represent. But let me talk about three things when it comes to renewal. Number one, renewed worship. In view of all that God has done, in view of his mercy towards you, renew your worship. Verse 1 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We've often had the tendency to limit our expression of worship to times, places, and specific activities. And, and there are elements of worship that are based on time, place, and activity. But that's a reduction of what worship is. Or other times, we limit our worship to certain feelings that we have. Worship felt good today, or worship didn't feel good today. I wasn't into it today, you know? We kind of have that attitude when it comes to worship. Now, Paul here actually expands what worship is in a very significant way. He's, he, he tells us what true and proper worship of God looks like. 
And he says, true and proper worship of God is offering your whole body as a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Covenant, Old Testament sacrificial system, people literally had to offer the bodies of animals, dead animals, for sacrifice. And there would be uh, different sacrifices for different reasons. But now, in the New Covenant, Jesus has actually offered himself as the one and only sacrifice. So the old sacrificial system is redundant. We don't need to participate in it anymore because Jesus offered himself. But that doesn't mean that sacrifice itself is abolished. Paul actually says there's a different kind of sacrifice now. Instead of a dead animal, he says you need to be a living sacrifice, that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. It has been said that the problem with a living sacrifice is that it has a tendency to get up off the altar and walk away. And so it's a daily choice to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. It's interesting as Paul talks about the body being being used in worship because when you read Romans 1, he actually talked about how our lack of the worship of God led to a skewed view and use of our body. You're supposed to offer your body as living sacrifice, but Paul was talking about in Romans 1 how people rejected the worship of God, they traded him in and worshipped creation instead. They rejected the truth of God and received a lie. And he says one of the implications of that was a skewed view of the body, and, and one particular one was a skewed view of human sexuality. And the way we used our bodies with each other, and Paul says that's a symptom of the bigger issue of a lack of worship. And so how do we stop abusing ourselves? How do we stop uh, committing idolatry? How do we stop committing, uh, worshiping false gods, including the human body? Well, it's to stop using our body for sin and to start using our body to worship God. It's to stop worshiping our body and to start using our body to worship the living God. To see our bodies as a gift from God, used to glorify him, not to glorify our own desires, to walk in obedience to him, not in obedience to our own desires, to use our bodies in whatever way to give him glory. And in that, we actually find freedom for our bodies. Let me suggest another application to offering your body as a living sacrifice. Might be me in trouble. But I think offering our body as a living sacrifice includes not pretending to be a statue during corporate worship on Sunday morning. I wasn't sure if that was going to get a groan or a laugh or anger. So maybe a few of those things. Listen, when we're all in heaven one day and uh, there's, there's churches from every nation, churches from nations that are more expressive than Canada. And we have people from many nations in our church, and we see you moving out there, and we love it. But when I'm talking to the pastors in heaven, and I'm talking to the pastors from Africa and South America, I don't want to be embarrassed when they say, Pastor, how come the people from your church look like it's a funeral up here? The Bible is full of words like clap your hands and raise your hands and sing and dance and shout and be joyful in the presence of the Lord. We can't be joyful in the presence of the Lord while we're crossing our arms with frowns on our faces. It's impossible. Just get something. Even if you're too, just get those toes going. Something 
to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. We'll move on. Number two, renewed patterns. Beginning of verse two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That was the New International Version. I want to read the New Living Translation as well. It says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I was sharing uh, with our volunteers at team night last week that research shows um, that people typically don't learn very well just by receiving instruction like a classroom setting or a parental lecture or even a sermon is not normally the best way for people to learn something new. It's not impossible, but it's not always the best way to do it. The the best way for people to learn new things is by observing and imitating models in their life. The, The patterns and habits and activities of the people in your life that have the most influence are going to be the, the, uh, the most poignant lessons for the way you are going to live your life. So your parents, your teachers, your spiritual leaders, your friends are going to have more influence just by the way they live than by the things they try to teach you verbally. And in a world like ours that is saturated by social media and obsessed with celebrities, much of our learning comes through observing and imitating people who aren't necessarily following Jesus. And we look at the behaviors and customs of the world around us, and without even realizing it, that pattern starts to imprint in our own mind and in our own heart, and we follow it without necessarily recognizing it's happening. But Paul is saying that we can actually be renewed, we can be transformed into a new type of person with new patterns by changing the way we think. This is biblical language for repentance. Repentance meaning stopping, going one direction, and starting to go another direction. But repentance doesn't start with a behavior modification. Repentance starts with a change of mind. Repentance starts with a decision to say, I'm actually going to agree with God. It starts with a decision to to say, actually, what I'm doing is not according to God's pattern. It's according to the pattern of the world. So I'm going to start to recognize that that is not the right direction. And I'm going to start agreeing with what God wants for my life. And so how does this happen? Well, one of the primary ways it happens is when we, like the church in Acts, devote ourselves to the scriptures. Because God's will, his word is recorded for us in the scriptures. And it's a transformative experience to get God's word into our hearts and minds And it shows us the thoughts of God so we can begin to agree with the thoughts and heart of God and start the process of repentance. But many of us, many of us only spend about 30 minutes a week listening to the pastor preach from the word and we spend the rest of the week being devoted to other types of patterns that are shaping our hearts and minds. And we wonder why our our lives aren't being shaped according to the pattern of Jesus. Because everything that we're witnessing and everything we're imitating is not according to the word of God. And we're not allowing the word of God to penetrate our minds to change the way we think and bring transformation to our life. Copying and conforming to the patterns of this world 
I think, are finally in our generation being exposed as a false hope. Because the patterns of this world, two major issues come to mind. Patterns of this world include people believing that if we just had the right politician in power, everything would get better. And yeah, it's tempting and maybe certain politicians would help, but, but we, we put so much weight on that. And another one is if we just invest in the right technologies, our lives will be improved. But we found that both of those saviors have proven to be false. Our politics are tearing us apart. Our culture is declining as a result. And additionally, our technology typically does not make the world better, a better place. It tends to enslave and isolate us. And we can get a bunch of amens about this in the room, particularly around saying, hey, we, you know, Jesus is our Lord. He's our prime minister. He's our president. I can get a bunch of amens about that. But I'll bet you anything, there are a lot of people in this room who spend a lot less time learning from Jesus than they spend listening to political pundits who are trying to tell you how, what it's like. I'm getting a couple claps in the front row, but everyone else is uncomfortable. What are we shaping our minds with? Are we shaping our minds with the word of God? Or are we shaping our minds with the patterns of the world? Be transformed by changing the way you think. We have an opportunity, I think, to not join the world in putting our hope in false saviors. But we have an opportunity through our own demonstration, through our own modeling, through our own unity with one another, through our love for one another, through our acts of reconciliation with one another, to provide a compelling vision of what life can look like for people who put their hope in Jesus. And while we need to keep proclaiming the good news of Jesus, we won't see people start joining the Jesus movement until they see the hope of Jesus modeled in the lives of everyday followers of Jesus. We need renewed patterns. And finally, we need renewed purpose. Verse 2, second half of verse 2 says this, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Did you know God's will is good? God's will is pleasing, and God's will is perfect. See, we're told, don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be, become a new person by changing the way you think. And then, this is the third thing that happens. Then you'll learn to know God's will and you will see that it's good, pleasing, and perfect. It happens after because it requires faith and obedience first in order to get to a point where you can see the goodness and pleasure in following God's will. Did you know, I think I've told you this before, I did not want to be a pastor. I thought it was a terrible idea. Who would want to do that job? I thought my dad was a crazy person. He was a great pastor and there was nothing wrong with the way he modeled this life, but it was not what I wanted. And so I started to pursue my own dreams, my own path. I started to walk away. I knew, I, in hindsight, I know that God was calling me earlier on. And I started to walk on my own path. And I wasn't like in sin. I wasn't a prodigal son. I was still going to church. I was still, but I recognized that I was following the patterns of this world. And I got to a point where I actually had to get on my knees and I had to admit to God 
that I was pursuing my own path. And I said to him, God, I recognize, I agree with you that what you want for my life is what's best for my life. So lead me. And he brought to mind Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by changing the way you think. Then you'll be able to know my will and see that it's good, pleasing, and perfect. What was crazy was as soon as I submitted to God, as soon as I admitted to him that what he wanted for my life was going to be what's best for my life, a miracle happened. All of a sudden, I wanted to be a pastor. The thing that I didn't want to do became the thing that I was passionate about and began to pursue. God changed my heart. And that's the amazing thing about following the purposes of God in your life. We lack faith thinking that if I do what God wants me to do, I'm going to hate it. That it's going to be boring. That it's going to be a life of drudgery and trial. But the reality is when we have enough faith to say yes to God, to agree with what God says about life, he does a miracle. And he gives you new passions and a new heart. You take off your old self, you put on a new self, and you follow a new purpose. But it takes the faith to start by saying, yes, God, you're right. Show me what to do. He's not calling all of you to be a pastor, but I'm sure he's calling some of you. And some of you, he's probably calling just to stay in the exact career you're in or the exact path you're on, but to do it in a different way. But all of us have an area of our life where we need to say, you know what? I've been following my own patterns or the patterns of this world. God, I know what you want for me is what is best for me and allow him to renew your purpose. Here at APA, we value renewal. We want to see an increased attentiveness to the presence and power of God resulting in a flourishing church and transformed lives. And all I can do from up here right now is plant a seed. And as your pastor over time, I can help kind of prepare your heart like a, like a farmer prepares the soil to receive the seed, but you have to receive it. You're the one who has to make a decision to agree with God. You're the one who needs to give him your attention. You're the one who needs to recognize what he is doing in the world and get involved. You need to pay attention the Spirit. You need to give your attention to worship. You need to give your whole self to Him. I can't do that for you. I will give you the Word, and I will speak to your heart, but you need to allow Him to renew your life. And this is the promise that God speaks from the throne of heaven at the end of all things, Revelation 21.5. He says, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. Everything which means that there's nothing that doesn't have the potential to be transformed. There's nothing that's so far gone, so far dead, so old and tired, so worn out, that God can't make it into something new. We believe that's possible in every life, in every situation. We believe for that. We position ourselves for that. He will transform his church as we give him our attention into a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special possession who declares the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. As we sing a final song before we dismiss today, it's that song we sang earlier, Back to Life. And it connects with this theme. An old life is gone. 
It's dead, it's worn out, it's tired. We're, we're saying goodbye to it. And we are going to live a new life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. I've been born again. My heart is set free. The hope of heaven before me and the grave behind. Hallelujah, you've brought me back to life. You might be feeling dead today, but in faith declare that he is bringing you back to life. It sings, where there was dead religion, now there is living faith. All of my hope and freedom are found in Jesus' name. Just like Lazarus, he brought me back to life. In the church, where things get tired and dry and dead and just going through the motion, Jesus can revive the church. Jesus can renew the church. Jesus can pour out his spirit on us to bring life again. We believe in that. If anyone's been saved by Jesus, if anyone's been brought back to life with Jesus, would you join me in offering your whole self in worship, giving him your whole attention, giving him your whole response and see what he does with it. Would you stand with me? Let's sing this song as we close. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you. We believe in you. We trust in you. We thank you for new life. We thank you for transformation. God, we're believing for more. We're believing for our friends and family members who don't know you or who have walked away from you, that they are not too far gone for you to turn their lives around. We're believing for our own situations, Lord God, broken uh, families, broken relationships, broken hearts, Lord God. You can renew all these things. We're believing for our church. You would continue to bring life and vitality and hope and peace and unity here, Lord God, because we know that you have the power to do it. God, fill us with faith to trust you in all circumstances. Lord, to not rely on idols of this world and the patterns of this world that lead to a loss of hope, but to rely on you promise that you are making all things new. We give you all the glory and we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.